Welcome to the Inner Network Podcast. I'm your host, Kyla Kaplan, and today I'm so excited to be joined by Christina Rodolfo. She is a multimedia journalist specialized in beauty reporting. Currently, she is the beauty director at Women's Health Magazine, where she oversees coverage across print and online. Christina was also formerly a senior beauty editor at Elle Magazine, where she reported and co-produced a Webby Award-nominated documentary and hosted the video series Beauty Hall. In today's episode, we chat about the behind the scenes of the editorial industry, her experience navigating through the beauty industry as a Filipina-American, and how to build meaningful relationships throughout your career. I'll be linking her social media in the show notes, but in the meantime, enjoy the episode. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hi, Kyla. It is so great to be on the podcast. I'm excited to chat. So before we get started, I always like to play a quick game of this or that. So I'll give you two options and I'll just have you pick one. Okay. Awesome. So the first one is East Coast or West Coast? East Coast for sure. That's my home. (laughs) Born and bred New Yorker here. Yeah, I had a feeling you'd pick the East Coast since you were born in Queens. So the next one is, would you rather live in Manhattan or Brooklyn? This is a tough one. I've lived in both now. I was born in Queens. I lived in Manhattan a bunch of my adult life. And now I live in Brooklyn with my boyfriend. And I'd have to say... Brooklyn, actually. I'll choose Brooklyn. (laughs) I feel like Brooklyn doesn't get the same amount of love as Manhattan, but, you know, both definitely have their, you know, different qualities. But what would you say is the best part about living in Brooklyn? I think what I love most about Brooklyn in my particular neighborhood, which is Carroll Gardens, is the neighborhood feel. You know, like I feel like there have there are shops that have been here that are local that have been here for ages, you know, and yeah. people have been here since the 50s or, you know, you can be a regular at the salon, a regular at the restaurant. And and I feel like you don't get that as much in Manhattan because every corner of the street is constantly changing and, and renovating and welcoming new businesses. And that's also really cool and exciting. And you really can't beat the you know, the magic of being in Manhattan in the center of, of everything and so many industries. But I but I'll say that I, I definitely feel more at home in Brooklyn. Yeah, I feel like Brooklyn definitely has that more homey vibe. And I definitely love that. So, you know, people don't sleep on Brooklyn. <laughs> So the next one I wanted to ask was, you know, of course you have been in the industry for a while and, you know, with the industry comes industry parties, industry events. So would you rather go to a smaller intimate gathering or one that's a little bit more extravagant with, you know, 100 or 200 plus people? I'd rather go to a smaller, more intimate event because you have the chance to get to know the brand better and the people behind the brand better. It's a lot more, I think fruitful than going to a large event where there's 200 people and the attention is divided and maybe the most that you can get is a a little hello. I I love getting to know people behind the brands. So I appreciate when I I get that FaceTime and it's just one-on-one. Yeah, for sure. Would you say that's the norm in the industry that, you know, it's a lot more smaller gatherings versus these bigger extravagant events? In a pre-pandemic world, it was definitely a mix of both. I would go to a large gala that maybe had 200 people there or 300 people there or 100 people there or 
I would go to a dinner that maybe only had eight people there. And then sometimes I'll go to a breakfast where it's just the one-on-one kind of, you know, catch up. And I feel like I, all of them have their value, you know, like there's nothing that beats uh, the big experience of, of going somewhere special and it's a cocktail event or a gala or a dance party or something like that. And it's always really fun. But I think that Every, every type of way that we socialize in this industry has value. For sure. And I feel like too, like you mentioned, you're able to really get to know the brand better. And then the people that are attending, you're really just able to connect in a smaller gathering. So my last one is, and I feel like I had to throw this in there because I'm a fellow Filipina and I love both these places. So would you rather vacation in Palawan or Boracay? Palawan, 100%. I've been to both. I've only gone to Coron in Palawan, but Palawan is definitely one of my favorite places in the world. And it just, I went island hopping and it was just the most magical time. Yeah, I 100% agree. I love Palawan and... I feel like too with Boracay, it's gotten so crowded over the past few years and a lot of people are saying that Palawan is what Boracay was like 10 years ago. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks for answering those questions. It's always so nice to get to know a little bit more about somebody before we dive in. So are you able to tell us, you know, just what your background is when it comes to your career and ultimately how you got to your role now, which is the beauty director at Women's Health Magazine. Sure. So I am currently the beauty director at Women's Health Magazine. I oversee both the print pages of beauty and as well as the online beauty coverage. So that's kind of like having two jobs in one. Prior to that, I was really only digital. I worked on websites like L.com where I was for four years. I worked at websites like Stylecaster and Style Bistro and HarpersBazaar.com. And it was a mix of internships as well as more entry-level positions. And I will say that I wanted to be a journalist from when I was really young. I was 14 years old when I made this decision. I was ready to go and I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know what kind of options there were out there to have a career in writing because all I knew was kind of novels and I I had no idea how to get into that. And so when I came across journalism, I felt like it was a calling. I joined the high school newspaper. I wrote you know, funny little articles for the high school newspaper. I remember this is when Twilight was big and I was interviewing everyone in the school about what they think of Twilight, especially, and I was, especially the guys in my school and kind of what they think the expectations of romance are like with this fictional romance, this vampire romance. And I I would write silly stories like that, that were like lifestyle pieces. And it was so much fun for me to really just become a storyteller. So when I was in college, I joined this you know, the college newspaper at NYU. I made sure to stay in New York City for college because I wanted to intern every single semester. And I got my first internship when I was actually right out of high school. I was 17 years old, about to turn 18. And I was working at a website called Stylecaster. And Stylecaster was a startup at the time. And I was working in the fashion closet. And I would be the person who's responsible for bringing all of the clothes for photo shoots all over the city. I would have to pick them up from the showrooms, from the designers, and kind of track back and forth uptown and downtown to get these 
items for the shoots that we were doing in-house. And that was such an education for me. But of course, what I really wanted to do was writing. So I kept on pitching ideas and eventually was brought onto the editorial team, which helped me get clips to get to my next internship uh, at places like Time Out New York, Harper's Bazaar, like I mentioned. And, you know, I got to meet so many editors who would bring me along with them as they continued to move forward in their careers, they would bring me too. So I interned every single semester of college and every single summer of college. And that was a lot to balance for sure. But I was so determined to be a magazine editor that I made it happen with whatever I could. And it was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of commuting because I I grew up in Queens, New York and NYU is of course in Manhattan. So I'd be commuting sometimes an hour and a half back and forth every single time. (laughs) And it was a lot, it was a lot of sacrifices for sure. But in the end, I think it's what set me up to be such a good candidate coming out of college and working at big publications. My first job was a website called Style Bistro, which was also a startup. And I was actually laid off from that job, which is to be expected sometimes from a startup. You really never know when you're joining a startup what where yeah. it's going to end up. But the company got acquired. They laid off the entire New York City staff uh, because they were also based in San Francisco. And so I was kind of left trying to figure out what to do. And I ended up at InStyle magazine as a fashion writer and then eventually at L.com where I stayed for a long time. I went to Pop Sugar as well to learn all there is to know about viral internet writing and culture. And then I, yeah, I've been at Women's Health now for over a year and it's my first print job and definitely has been an amazing, fulfilling job just because it has explored such a different side of beauty reporting that I didn't before when I was working in fashion publications. Yeah, it sounds like you've had a whirlwind of a career and I actually follow your hustle and glow up hashtag on Instagram and I love that you share all aspects aspects of your career, the good, the bad, and like all the experiences that you've had in between. So how important has it been for you to gain those experiences during high school, writing for your high school paper and how has your writing style changed over time? For sure. So I, like I mentioned, I knew I wanted to work in fashion magazines specifically. Like I, I went on a field trip one time to Nylon Magazine and met the editors there and it kind of solidified, okay, this is what I meant to be doing. I'm going to be a magazine editor at a fashion magazine specifically. And I actually wanted to be a fashion editor at first before landing on being a beauty editor. So when I was writing for the high school paper or the college newspaper, I would get general assignments. So I remember... I think this was my freshman year in college. I was assigned a piece on the best running spots in New York City because obviously we catered to NYU students and a lot of them were new to the city. So in order to figure out how to live in the city, we wanted to have a lifestyle piece on the five best places to get a run in in the middle of this concrete jungle. So I remember I would write pieces like that and I would write profile articles on amazing characters within the NYU community. And it was such a variety that I think helped me learn how to best hone my storytelling and and my voice because traditional journalism, the training that I had in school, which was traditional journalism, I think is so valuable for anyone who wants to be an editor or a reporter because you need that foundation of how to tell a story. So you need to learn, this is what 
a headline is. This is what a deck is. This is what uh, the first sentence or the lead of your article should be like. This is how to introduce a story, how to structure a story. So it kind of prepared me to be able to write about absolutely anything that you can throw at me. And that's essentially what I wanted to do is I just wanted to absorb as much experience as I could, no matter what it was about. And then I could use that later on in my career when I do get to pick what I want to write about. So even when I was at L.com and I started out as an associate editor, I wasn't writing only about beauty. I was also writing about fashion. I was also covering celebrity news, which was a crazy thing to do, which is like, as you know, someone could have it, like a celebrity could have a divorce, a celebrity could have a baby. And it's kind of like, you have to drop everything and make sure that you're the first one to write about it and publish the story because it's so competitive online. Oh. <laughs> and I had to learn how to do that to write entertainment articles, culture articles, and and everything under the sun I was able to do. So I think that that helped me create such a library of knowledge, I think, when it comes to the different types of stories to tell. And it made me really versatile so that when I, now that I'm focused specifically on beauty reporting, I have the confidence to approach it in a way that is not just about beauty, you know, like it's also right. about the humans, the human story behind beauty or the service behind the story that I'm trying to share with our readers or, you know, what is it saying about our culture at large or society at large, as opposed to just a surface level type of beauty story. Right. And I think that's super important because like you'd mentioned, you know, it's important to have different areas of writing that you can kind of pull from. Although you're writing about beauty, you still have all those experiences that, you know, you can really pull from if there is a topic or a story that you need to cover that may be a little bit out of scope of the beauty industry. When it comes to breaking into the industry specifically, I feel like the editorial industry as a whole is hard to get into. I feel like it's very much connection-based. So what was your experience like breaking into the industry? And is there anything that you would have done differently? Sure. So one thing to know is that I had absolutely zero connections. <laughs> I, I didn't know anybody. <laughs> and that was, that's difficult because a lot of the people who get ahead in the magazine industry are people who have connections and your net, your network is everything. You know, the, the people that you know that can help bring you along or the people that you know, or someone that you know, someone who knows someone can can help you get a position. And a lot of times that's how people get jobs because the competition in this industry is absolutely insane. You know, the, the amount of, of resumes that come in wanting to get these jobs as editors at these big magazines is is absolutely, you know, unfathomable sometimes. And even when I was hiring for intern positions or hiring for entry-level positions, the amount of emails that I would get from people or DMs from people who are interested is always very overwhelming. So it just calls to mind that having connections is always helpful, but I didn't have any. So what I had to do was build it from scratch. And the way that I did that was by just getting my foot in the door. That's the first thing you have to do. I remember trying to get internships. The first one that I got was from a friend, actually. So that's my one connection that I had. She was an intern. We were both on, in high school. We were on the track team together. And so that's how we knew each other. I knew that she was also going to NYU and she was interning at Stylecaster. And she was in the marketing side of things, but she knew I wanted to go into the editorial side of things. So she put forward my name when they were hiring interns and I got the job. 
and having that first experience is the biggest, the biggest and hardest step to get, you know, so go to a smaller publication or a smaller company or something. You need just to have anything on your resume. And then from then on, I applied like mad to every single internship that there was in the city. Like I must have given out 25, I don't know, 40 applications uh, using a website called Ed2010, where they listed all these internships. And I just sent my resume to everybody. And I tried to figure out editors' email addresses so that I could send it to them directly and, you know, cold email them. And, you know, eventually, you know, someone got back to me. And so it was, there was a lot of no's though. There was also a lot of just no responses at all. So know that if you're trying to start from scratch, you're going to get a lot of that. But once I got that one chance and it was at a, a local magazine called Time Out New York, which was a weekly magazine. And I was able to intern there for the summer. That helped me get introduced to ed- other editors who would eventually hire me for future positions. So it's really just about getting in the door. And once you get once you get there, you have to make a really good impression so that people, the people that you work with, will want to put your name forward. They'll they'll say your name when there's an opportunity, you know? So I, right. I just focused so hard on making a good impression, leaving an impact in the workplace. And, and that eventually opened doors for me, but I kind of had to open the doors myself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that it there's really no secret. You just have to, you know, put in the work and send out the applications and hope that somebody will get back to you and that you'll stand out to them, get the interview, and then... Eventually, once you're given that chance, you you have the first step to build out your resume and then you just have to keep building it. I don't know if I would do anything different if I'm looking back. I think that I did everything right. <laughs> it's kind of like pompous to say, <laughs> I think. But what I mean is that I followed what I thought was going to be the best path to get me to where I wanted to go. And it worked. So I had a plan and not everybody who goes into this industry has a plan. You know, sometimes you kind of just go with wherever opportunities lead you. But I was very focused on wanting to be a magazine editor. So that's kind of why I was able to to get that way. Yeah, 100%. I feel like people need to be okay with the idea of rejection because it's so normal and it's just inevitable when as you go through your career. And, you know, what I really appreciated as well was that you shared your Excel sheet on your hustle and glow up hashtag of how you keep track of all the people that you meet because you know as you go to industry events as you network there's so many people that you meet and it doesn't really make sense if you're going to meet them and not keep in touch with them right so I really love that you shared that so I'd love if you can tell us a little bit more about that like I mentioned your network is everything so when I became a beauty editor for the first time and realized that I really didn't have that many connections within the beauty industry and that it was so crucial in order to not only secure my place as an authority within the beauty industry, but also to make those connections that could lead me to story opportunities or leads for really exciting articles that I could write about, I needed to be social. So I needed to get out there, get my name out there. And the way to do that was just to say yes to so many meetings. And I said yes to almost every single invitation that came my way. And every time I did, whenever I met somebody new, I would take note. So after meeting them, whether we had a breakfast or a lunch or it was at an event, I would go into my little Google Doc. It's a spreadsheet. And I would write their name, the date that we met, where we met, what event it was or what brand it was for. And then I would write notes about them. And it's not even notes about like 
this is a new product that's launching. This is the ingredients in the product. It was literally like, this person is from Massachusetts. They have a boyfriend that they live with. His name is Brian or something like that. Um, they have a dog. It's a Malty Poo. And she loves watching The Bachelorette. And, you know, we we talked about what we shared in common. Like, we love the same kind of dessert or something like that. Like, it would just be the most, what you think are mundane details about somebody, but really is the way that you get to know someone. And so the next time I would see them, I would be able to ask about their dog or I'd be able to ask about their boyfriend and remember what their boyfriend's name was. Or I would be able to mention, oh my God, I just tried this amazing dessert place that you will love because I know that they love dessert. So I feel like those kinds of things help you because there's so many people within the industry. Those kinds of things, those details that you remember can really help you form organic relationships. And I always hated the idea of traditional networking where you kind of like throw your business card at people and you're like, oh, let me know if I can ever help you or something. And it just felt so formal and a little stuffy. Like it, it makes me think of like business conferences and that's so not my vibe. So I always wanted to make sure that when I form connections with people that they feel authentic. And so this spreadsheet, which at first seems a little like dorky and like maybe a little stalkerish, <laughs> is, is actually, it actually ended up being so helpful for me when I came to starting out with building my network. Yeah, I love that. And I feel like people do really notice when you, you know, call out these things that you may think that you're saying that just you know, won't get remembered, but somebody remembers them. And I think when those situations happen, people let their guard down and it becomes more of like a conversation, you know? Yeah. And I think that at the, at the bottom of it all, everybody just wants to feel like they're listened to, you know, there's so much talk that happens where it's just people talking over each other and they're not really listening. So when you can remember details like that, that makes somebody feels like, feel like they were listened to, I think that it makes all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. You also mentioned too that now as a beauty director at Women's Health and you know also previously at Elle magazine, you did get a lot of resumes for positions that, you know, whether they were internships or just overall positions that were open in the company. What has been the biggest change that you've seen when it comes to hiring for these positions? And what do you specifically look for when you do hire for these positions? Sure. So I wish I were hiring somebody now, but I'm not. (laughs) And, uh, you know, most, especially in the year 2020, so many people are on a hiring freeze and not. And I think that it's definitely taken a hit for people who are seeking internships or entry-level positions. And that's, that's been tough, I think, uh, for a lot of young grads, especially now. Uh, But I will say that once hopefully things return back to normal, the things that I look for in a resume are your experience first, definitely your experience first over your education. Because I think that the efforts that you put in to get those clips, even if it was at a local paper or if it was on your college paper or something like that, that's that speaks a lot more to me about your skills in this role that I'm looking for than whatever you studied in college and like what your major was. Because <laughs> a lot of times the people that I meet within my industry don't even, they didn't even study journalism. They studied something completely different. And I feel like it doesn't have a bearing on where you're going to end up what you studied in college. But what your experience is, is what is building your skill set for future jobs. So that's kind of why I look at experience first. I want to see on your resume what 
you did to help whatever organization or, or company or brand you were at? You know, like what is a, a measurable thing that you actually did? Do you have metrics behind that? That is always going to be something people look for um, as opposed to more general, like these were my tasks. Like I don't need to know what your tasks were. I need to know what your achievements were. So that is something that definitely will stand out. Uh, I would say have a portfolio, have an online portfolio where I could read all of your articles and, you know, be selective with them. Make sure that it's your best work. Make sure that your website is easy to navigate and well-designed. And Squarespace and all these play, all these websites make it so much easier now than it was before where you had to like build build from HTML or, you know, <laughs> Java from scratch. And I didn't know how to do that. So now that I, there's Squarespace, I feel like there's really no excuse to not have a beautiful por- online portfolio, which I think everybody needs to have. Or even an Instagram. I think that one thing that has changed so much in our industry is that when I was coming up, Instagram did not exist. (laughs) It was not a thing. And it has obviously completely changed our industry because you can be somebody who maybe you're in the middle of this, of the country, you know, you're not in a major city or able to go to a school in a major city. And how are you going to create your portfolio? You can do it online. You could do it with social media. I remember I was hiring somebody for an internship position when I was at L, and she didn't even have a personal Instagram, but she started her own Instagram community that highlighted women of color in the media industry. And I was so impressed by that. And it was just beginning, but I was so impressed with that, even more so than the fact that she went to Columbia Journalism School, which is a very impressive wow. school. Yeah. And I but I was impressed by the Instagram and the, you know, the the effort that she that she made to really to really go and create a community. So I want to get into, you know, the beauty industry as a whole. I feel like now more than ever, all of these conversations are coming up about diversity inclusion. Brands are, you know, now more than ever addressing how they are being more inclusive when it comes to their campaigns and the models they use. And, you know, as the beauty director at Women's Health and being at publications prior to um, Women's Health, how have you seen the beauty industry change when it comes to diversity inclusion and more specifically as well how have you seen the industry change when it comes to Asian beauty and just Asian representation as a whole sure so as a Filipino woman I definitely first of all never felt represented by the beauty industry I never saw a tan-skinned Asian girl in an ad for you know a major drugstore beauty brand that you commercial you'll see on the TV or in magazines I didn't see myself there you know uh, I think that that really affected my my sense of self-worth growing up because I always measured my beauty based on proximity to whiteness and I think this is something that as you said a lot of Filipino women deal with because not only of American beauty standards or rather like westernized eurocentric beauty standards but also because it's reinforced within our own home country and the beauty ideals within the Philippines where you know the celebrities that are considered beautiful in the Philippines are always either half white or they look white they have you know light skin and and I feel like we've all had those titas who were like talking about our nose or making sure that our nose was tall or you know just just all these comments that there would be about your weight or your looks and and I, I think that there's such a focus within the Philippines on beauty especially with our 
pageant presence, you know, the beauty pageant presence of the Philippines where pageant queens are viewed as like national heroes. Mm -hmm. There's like an entire like crowds of people that gather once they win the crown and they come and visit the city again and there's a parade and it's very much like what you would see when the Pope comes to town. And I'm not to compare the two, but there's like a lot of fanfare within the Philippines over beauty pageants. And I think part of that is escapism. And part of that is also pride. And I think there's nothing wrong with being proud of our country, you know, absolutely not. But I think that idea of beauty hanging over our heads kind of makes us hyper aware of all the things that you're not, you know. So Mm -hmm. for me, I remember my aunt would, she gifted me papaya soap before like this very famous papaya soap because you know she's she's a beautiful woman and I I had looked up to her growing up and and she told me that she used this soap so I had like a six-month supply of it and I used it every single day just like hoping that my skin would turn lighter and it makes me really sad to think about that now because I I love my skin tone now. I think yeah. that it's like a beautiful, like golden tan and and I and all year round it looks like this. I don't have to like go in the sun to turn tan. So <laughs> I, I'm very proud of my skin now and the heritage behind it. But I think that of course there's so much there's so much prejudice within the beauty industry. Just traditionally. I think that there's racism, there's colorism, all of that exists within the beauty industry and the kind of products that we're putting out there, even when it comes to the shades of foundation, you know, the foundation shades for some brands don't go darker than me. And I'm like a medium tan kind of skin tone. And that's just not inclusive enough. You know, it's just, you're not thinking about other consumers or all consumers. And and I feel like that's gradually changing now as we're seeing more brands, you know, prioritize diversity, but it needs to happen from the inside, you know, Mm-hmm. It needs to have, there needs to be executives. There needs to be cosmetic scientists and formulators and product developers who are people of color because there's not enough. And and I think that the industry still gets it wrong sometimes. Like when I try a highlighter that on my skin, it looks gray. It looks like ash gray when yeah. it's supposed to be this like luminous, luminous gold. And I'm kind of just like, if this doesn't work for me, then what about people who have deeper skin tones than me? And I think that, Thankfully, within the beauty industry, there's been a lot of change uh, and that there's been like movements like the pull up or shut up movement by uh, the OMA beauty founder, Sharon Shooter. And I feel like things like that have made people more aware of what needs to be done. And just from my perspective as an editor, you know, being in a position where I can help create the imagery in the magazines or on the websites and, and choose people and makeup artists and that we can collaborate with to make it a lot more inclusive than it has been before. I think that I I don't take that privilege lightly ever. Yeah. And like you mentioned as well with, you know, brands really making sure that they're catering to various skin tones. And, you know, that's obviously with the type of makeup that they're producing, the type of foundation shades that they're offering. Is that something that you've seen improve over the past few years? And do you feel like brands, especially like Fenty that are, you know, coming out with a new product launch and It does have a wide range of foundation shades. Do you think brands are really stepping up to follow in those companies' footsteps? Definitely. And it's a good change to see for sure. I think that a lot of people didn't realize that there have been 
there have been other makeup brands that have had lots of foundation shades. Like MAC is like the OG for inclusivity. They've always been about that. They've always cared about the LGBTQ community. They've always cared about all races. Um, Makeup Forever also had a lot of foundation shades, but I think because Rihanna is, she's a celebrity. She's, uh, you know, she, like everyone wants to be her. (laughs) It's kind of like there's extra attention paid to, to this amazing movement that she's put forward within the beauty industry. Like she literally shook it when she launched Fenty Beauty in 2017. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, we have to do so much better because look at how everyone is responding to her because you know, at the end of the day, beauty is a business and dollars speak and people are spending money on Fenty Beauty because they feel included by Fenty Beauty. They feel seen. Fenty Beauty includes men in their ad campaigns. They include women. They include all types of people. And I feel like that really does pay off. And I think that seeing the success of that brand has inspired so many other brands to be a lot more mindful about what they're launching, you know, I think that you just, it's just not enough anymore to even have 40 foundation shades. You know, it's not enough anymore because who are you putting behind the lens? Uh, Who's shooting your campaign? You know, who is formulating your product? Who's your CEO? Who's your president? Who are the people in the boardroom who are making real decisions about this company? And what do they look like? Do they look like your consumer? I, I think that these questions that a lot of people are asking, especially beauty reporters, is is helping shift this industry into a better place. But of course, there's always more work to be done. Yeah, definitely. And you would know better than anybody because you are the beauty director at Women's Health. You know, you were previously at L and really working behind the scenes. So, you know, how much say would you say that editors and directors have, whether it's print or digital, with the types of models that are being used and just really making sure that there is diversity inclusion with stuff that goes out into the public? Because, you know, as we've seen it, for example, Kelsey Merritt, she's gorgeous and she's a Filipina, but she is a half Filipina. And when you compare her career to Janine from Miss Universe, that's also modeled for Victoria's Secret Pink. And, you know, not to say Janine's not doing well for herself because she is. And, you know, I love the work that she's doing, but I feel like people will compare, you know, both women in their career and how well they've done based on, you know, their color of their skin. Like Janine is definitely more morena and, Kelsey is, she has that half Filipina, half American look, and that's just definitely more so the beauty that Filipinas really aspire to be. So how would you say that's changed over, you know, the course of your career when it comes to how you're seeing the magazines really embracing diversity? Sure. Well, first of all, I love Kelsey. <laughs> she's she's my girl. I've like shot a video with her before and done stories on her before. And she's she's wonderful and very proud Filipina. Same with Janine. I've like written a story on Janine before. I've interviewed her. And uh, I think what I mean to say with that is that you know, whenever there is a Filipina anybody, I am always trying to get them on the on yeah. the magazine or in the publication. And I find a way because I, I want to tell our stories. I want to show our beauty and the diversity of our beauty, whether you're Kelsey or Janine or Gina Rosero, who I've also, you know, admired so much and have interviewed and, and had her speak about her experience as a trans woman and a Filipina and as somebody who is not seen in front of the camera as much as you would say other models are, although she has become like a Playboy playmate and like really like taken off and she's amazing. 
an activist, incredible. But, you know, I, I feel like what I try to do all the time is when I find a Filipina person, try to find a way to, to make a story that includes them or that centers them. That's like a really big goal of mine, wherever it makes sense. And when it comes to the involvement of editors selecting models or art or, you know, what they want the shoot to look like. I'm very vocal and it, it depends on what your publication is. Sometimes there's different processes. Sometimes it's a total separate process and you're not involved in picking the model or the people that are shooting the, the creative. But as far as my experience, I'm always very vocal about wanting to have diverse models and the art team that I work with currently is just as committed as I am. So they're always trying to ask what I think about this model or they'll ask what I think about this beauty look or, you know, it's a very collaborative process. And I think that's an important thing is like having a team that that's also committed to diversity. That's a that's a really big thing. And I've had a, a lot of opportunity in my career to help uplift marginalized communities and tell stories of those communities. And, you know, being Filipino American, I'm always invested in telling Filipino American stories too and Filipino stories. So one of my proudest stories that I've written, it was actually a story on fall nail trends. And at first that might not sound like a groundbreaking story, but it was featuring this amazing woman I found on Instagram. Her name is Anna de Guzman and she's a young Filipino American. She is a magician. And so she does this amazing card artistry where she does choreography using decks of cards. And it's absolutely mesmerizing. And I had her be the hand model for this. And I wrote a story on her and how she, as a Filipino American woman, is trying to break through the very white male dominated industry of magicians. And it was just like a, such a fun shoot to do. We had a Filipino makeup artist, a Filipina stylist. And then I'm the writer. I was Filipina. We had a Filipino subject and our photographer was Asian. And it was just like such an amazing moment for me to be able to, to contribute to shifting the narrative about what we consider to be worthy of, of a magazine like Elle. Yeah, I think it's so important to have people like you, editors, directors that are really focused on bringing that diversity inclusion into anything and everything they do. Because I think in order to make a real change and to really make a difference. We need people that are in those positions that have had these lived experiences. And, you know, thank you for shedding so much light onto, you know, the Filipino community, because I feel like now more than ever, Filipinos are really shining in the industry that they're in. They're getting so much more recognition. And I feel like it's well overdue, to be honest. It is. And we need to be in the room. That's the yeah. bottom line. Like there need to be more of us. And, you know, I, I feel like when I was coming in this industry, there was nobody. <laughs> there was no one who I could look up to who was like a Filipino person. And at least I didn't know them. I didn't, I hadn't met somebody. Uh, there was one editor who worked at Teen Vogue and GQ. His name is EJ Samson. And I met him when he was a speaker at a Filipino American career panel uh, in NYU. And I went straight up to him and I was like, I need to know you. And I remember I just like hounded him. Uh, and ever since then, he's been so supportive of my career and my growth. But he was like the only person that I knew who was Filipino and in the magazine world. And now there's so many more. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. And honestly, that's why I gravitated towards reaching out to you and really just interviewing you because I really wanted to get your opinion because more than anyone, I feel like you would know what it's like navigating through the beauty industry as a Filipina. So it's so nice to get, you know, your perspective on things. And it's so refreshing to hear that 
you're seeing the industry change in a positive direction because I feel like things are going in the right direction overall. We are going the right direction. And I'm very proud of my heritage and my culture because because it's not so well known. Like you said, we don't get a lot of media spotlight, even if we have a, a large percentage of the U.S. population, uh, specifically speaking for as like an American perspective. But, but you know, like I, I feel like Filipinos are so, so present in our country, but just not represented when it comes to entertainment and media. And that's kind of why I speak so proudly about my culture and my heritage, because I want normalize it. I don't want it to feel like other. I want it to be a part of the conversation. And it's a huge influence in the stories that I tell and my perspective on beauty and my perspective on the world. And so I feel like not talking about it is a disservice to anyone who reads my writing because then they won't know that that's how that's where my perspective is coming from. Yeah. And I feel like you definitely, you know, hit the nail on the head with Filipinos being present, but not really being present or recognized, if you know what I mean. Yes, yes. So that's awesome to see. And, you know, I'm definitely following you, following your work. And ultimately, you're paving such an amazing path for Filipinos and Asian Americans that really want to get into the beauty industry by really vocalizing that, you know, representation is so important and it's needed. And I feel like, too, something that I want to get into is your role in general. I feel like being in the editorial industry, being a beauty director and previously being the senior beauty editor at Elle magazine, I think your job is definitely idolized and a lot of people aspire to be in the role that you're in right now. So I'd love to know what your day-to-day looks like. I mean, of course, it looks a little different, you know, during the pandemic. So pre-COVID and, you know, during COVID, I'd love to know what your day looks like ultimately, because I know there's different areas of your career that we might not be seeing like behind the scenes? So I have a really fun job. (laughs) Every single day is pretty different. I would say the majority of my job is definitely the core of it, which is writing and reporting and editing, all the editorial aspects of my job. So it's pitching fresh story ideas, coming and planning issues out. We're working right now, it's November and we're working already on April. And that's how far in advance we start thinking about print. (laughs) It's kind of of crazy to try to think that far in advance, but we work really ahead because of the print schedule. And then online, we work day to day. So I kind of have the same urgency of working on, on an online schedule as well as the long lead schedule of a print magazine. So it's balancing those two things at the same time, trying to see our coverage and find any white spaces of what we can be doing more and exploring more for our readers and you know, keeping on top of trends. That's a huge part of my job as well. My inbox gets filled with I want to say 300 emails plus a day oh from gosh. from brands. It's very hard to keep up uh, from brands, from founders, from people who are launching new things. And, and I really do read every single one because you never know when you might find a story. And it's, you know, I keep an open mind. I like to spend a lot of time keeping an eye out on, on social media as well for any trends, for any cool brands or any, any stories that might be fascinating to me. You know, I feel like so much of social media is a great tool for reporters because that's how we are able to connect with sources and find new sources and also find stories. It's it's a really great tool. So I definitely spend a lot of time on social media, both 
for my own personal branding and just like making sure that I have a presence on there. And I love sharing content and makeup tutorials and hair tutorials just because it's in my nature and I love doing that. Uh, But I also use it as a tool to try and find stories for the publications that I work at. And I would say another part of my job is aside from writing and editing and reporting and hunting down news and trends is networking. A huge part of my job is networking, especially pre-pandemic. I was spending, I would say 50% of my time would be networking. I would be at a breakfast with brands or with PR executives or marketing executives and I would be, or brand founders, and I would be at dinners with them. And every single day I would have a very packed calendar of one-on-one meetings where brands would come to my office and I would meet with them and hear their story and find out more about their products. And every single evening I had, if not one place to go, three places to go. So I would go from uh, a drinks thing here to a dinner thing here, and then another drinks thing here, or, you know, uh, an event that would be a long kind of thing that was a lot more of a social with other beauty editors, which was always really fun. So I would do a lot of social events. I would also go on press trips, which I really miss. Those were really fun where a brand would take you to some far flung location and to tell the story of a launch. Like I, you know, some of my favorite trips have been to Tuscany with Aqua di Parma. That was like a life-changing trip. It was absolutely amazing. We stayed in like this villa on the top of a hill in Tuscany and we like learned how to make pasta from scratch on a farm oh and we we, uh, we like wandered the streets of the, the Tuscan cities and not cities rather they're like small towns late at night drinking wine and it was just it's like so much fun I've gone to like Marrakesh I've gone to Singapore and London and Paris and you know all of those amazing trips have always been through my job and usually through a beauty brand. So that's always very fun, the travel aspect of my job Um, (laughs) pre-pandemic. And then I would say other parts of my job include working on the business side of things. Beauty is, like I mentioned, beauty is a huge business. And a lot of times magazines and websites, the advertising dollars come from beauty brands. So I'm very involved when it comes to pitching ideas for programs to sell with our sales team. And this is something that a lot of people don't realize is, is also part of the job. A lot of times, at least I didn't know this was part of the job until I was in it <laughs> and, and realizing how, how intertwined the, you know, the ad sales team is with the editorial team. So that's a big part of the job as well. It's a lot of juggling different roles. And, you know, in my previous job, I was also a video host and I would help produce video series and was an on-camera host for multiple series for Elle. And that was another another set of of skills, you know, like being an on-camera person, interviewing people on camera and coming up with ideas. And we even made a a documentary and that was like a totally new experience for me too. So it's a lot. It's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how could I forget? Testing products. That's another huge part of my job. (laughs) I get sent so many packages. I used to get them sent to the office and I had a whole closet just dedicated to products from brands. And now that I'm working from home, all of it's coming to my apartment. So (laughs) I, I have to like sift. I open packages all day long. I have to sift through all the new brands and new launches that are coming in. And I really do genuinely try to test everything. You know, I'm more selective with skincare just because I have acne prone skin and I don't want to break 
workout. So I'm selective with skincare, but I have a lot of fun with makeup and hair and nails and all of that. So uh, that's one of the best parts of the job is really like being the first person to be able to test something or see something that hasn't even come out yet and it won't come out for a month. So it's kind of like getting this insider knowledge about beauty trends and products. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Your job just sounds like a dream. And <laughs> I just decided that I'm going to switch industries. <laughs> <laughs> this happens a lot when I tell people what I'm doing. They're always like, should I change industries? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like you have so many things on your plate. And, you know, although you have all of these perks that come with working in the beauty industry and specifically being a beauty director, I love that you stress that at the end of the day and like at the heart of it all, like you're still a journalist. Yes. Yeah. And I can't imagine like how you're able to juggle all of it. Like it seems like it's a lot, but you're doing it. So that's awesome. That's what I tell people all the time is that first and foremost, I'm a journalist. Like that's my reporting background. That's that's who I am at my core uh, when it comes to my job, you know, because you could be a lot of things when you're a beauty editor. You could be kind of an influencer, you know, like a beauty influencer, a beauty vlogger. You could kind of be more of a manager or, you know, you wear a lot of hats, but I feel like for me, I'm a journalist first and I take a lot of pride in reporting. So I would say like some of my proudest moments in my job have been stories that I worked really hard on reporting that, you know, explored really important issues. Like there's a story that I wrote for Women's Health in the September issue where I examined the mental health effects of AR filters on social media and our, you know, the psychological effect of, of using Facetune and filters and, and kind of how it's messing with our ideas and perceptions of self and our beauty standards today. And I really dug in there and interviewed dermatologists. I interviewed psychologists. I interviewed plastic surgeons. I interviewed body dysmorphia specialists. And I looked at research and looked at all this data of how all of our increasingly online time is affecting us. And I feel like that was a really important story I wanted to tell. And, and I'm proud that I was able to tell it. I think that's so important because, you know, people can look at it as, you know, it's just an Instagram filter. It's just a Snapchat filter, but it really does affect people's self-esteem. And, you know, there are some filters out there that are super minor in the way that they change your face. But at the end of the day, they're still changing your face and there's still aspects of it that you look at and you're like, oh, I, that actually looks a little bit better than, you know, real life. And, and I love that you're really shining the light on how these filters can be really negative. Yeah. And that's the great privilege of my job is being able to have a platform to explore important topics like that. That's like the, the biggest part of my job that I take a lot of pride in is being able to tell stories. And, you know, there's so many that I've done that I'm so proud of and and I, I bring a lot of myself to my stories. I feel like that's probably what I would describe my style as is a lot of it comes from personal experience. You know, I, I wrote an acne feature about how your mental health and, the, you know, your psychological state can actually have an effect on your skin. And I spoke to a lot of dermatologists about this and I it was inspired by my own experience with extremely bad cystic acne following a terrible breakup. <laughs> and, you know, I was kind of like, can breakups make you break out? And it's, they can. And it was like an, a fascinating exploration into how stress affects your body and your skin specifically. And, and I just felt like being able to tell stories like that, that really dig a little bit deeper into beauty are kind of what I, I love the most about my job. Yeah. And it seems like you have quite a bit of autonomy with the types of 
progressive pieces and topics that you write about. Yes, yes. I'm really supported on my team when it comes to story ideas that I want to do. I pitch a million ideas and of course, not all of them are great. <laughs> I have pitched many bad ideas, <laughs> but but thankfully I, I have a, a great team of editors who help me really shape my ideas and and figure out something that would work best for our readers and and something that feels exciting and new and fresh because it's it's hard out there. It's competitive and, and it's very easy with beauty to kind of tell the same stories over and over and over again. And it's yeah. like, how can how can we have a fresh perspective on this? What feels now about this idea? And that's kind of the challenge that I'm always facing. Definitely. I think it's so nice to hear that you are supported in that sense, because I think that's super important. So something that I love to get into with everybody that, you know, comes on as a guest is asking what their pinch me moment has been. And I feel like for you, every day of your career is probably a pinch me moment. But can you recall what that's been for you throughout your career? Oh my gosh. I feel like there's a there's like so many (laughs) just because I, you know, I'm, I'm forever just grateful for this journey that I've had and, and the opportunities that I've had to experience what I've experienced in in like ways that I, I never thought I would be. I thought I would just be like a person like glued to my desk and kind of just writing and reporting and editing, which is what I wanted to do. That's why I got into this job. I wanted to be a journalist. And I never expected that all these other experiences would come with my job. So the first one that comes to mind, I'm going to talk about one that's more of an experience as opposed to like a work thing. But it was a press trip that I went on with Armani Beauty to Venice. And it was during the Venice Film Festival. And it was the most magical thing you could have ever like imagine like you travel everywhere by boat. I'm going, I'm like walking on the red carpet with like a, a gown on and celebrities everywhere at the premiere. The pre- the movie that we watched was The Joker. So it was like the worldwide premiere of The Joker, which was like a huge, like a huge movie. And to be able to see and be there at the Venice Film Festival with the brand and, and taking these like boats and like looking fabulous and going to dinner, like catching a boat to go to dinner. And it's this gorgeous, like candlelit long table full of celebrities. And like at at my table was like Kate Blanchett, (laughs) Nicholas Holt, Holt, and like, like I, I sat really close to, like there was one person between me and Nicholas Holt and we like had conversation at dinner and, and I loved him watching him in skins. And that was like, what is this happening? Is this really happening? And just like the, but that was just one night of the trip. The rest of the trip was like just magical Italian (laughs) glory, Uh, lots of pasta, lots of wine, and just like so much fun with the brand. Like Armani was like an incredible, it's a brand that I love already. Like I love Armani makeup. I love the brand. And so to be able to experience that and get even get to know the brand better, get to know the people behind the brand better was incredible. Like that was such a pinch me moment. And then I would say another pinch me moment is when uh, a docu- the documentary that I mentioned that I worked on when I was at L. it was called Beat. And it was about how drag queens help shape the beauty industry. And uh, I was so proud of this because we worked on it for eight months. It was our first, you know, well, it was my first time working on a documentary and and we traveled everywhere from like LA to go to drag con to like Vegas to go get ready with some drag queens backstage to Brooklyn to like underground drag shows and and just really talking to drag historians about the impact that drag makeup has had and and continues to have on beauty industry and these people who didn't get 
a lot of credit for a lot of the trends. I feel like when I worked on that documentary and it came out, I was so proud. And then I was even more like pinch me proud when it was nominated for a Webby Award, which is like such a huge honor because there's are so many, so many videos that come out <laughs> in the internet in a given year. And to have that one be nominated for like the best fashion slash beauty video was a huge honor. So, and it was like a lot of affirmation of, of the work that I was so proud to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I will definitely be linking that in the show notes so that everyone can watch it and really just see, you know, all of the hard work that's gone into that because I think that's super amazing. So the last thing I want to get into is the best piece of advice that you've been given in your career because I feel like you've come across, you know, so many people in the industry and you know, along the way you've gotten advice and some of them really stick with you. So I'd love to know what that's been for you. There's so much advice I've received through the years, but one of the most important was that your job can't love you back. And what I mean by that is, yes, you can pursue your career with a lot of passion and a lot of purpose, but at the end of the day, your all of your validation and self-worth shouldn't come from work. It shouldn't come from your job. And who you are outside of your job is just as important as who you are at work. And this is something that I had to learn over time. I, I felt like my identity was totally wrapped up in my job and being an editor and working in magazines. And that's that I felt like that's who I am. And I felt like that's all I have to offer in this world. But as I've grown older, I realized that there's so much value in learning how to separate yourself from your job and separate your self-worth from your job. And in a way that's been really freeing and, and helped me appreciate my job even more now that it's no longer the source of my, of all of my validation and all of my ups and downs. And I feel like I've been able to find that life and work balance that is so elusive for so many people, especially young people who are really like hustling and and trying to get to the top. You have to remember that life exists out of work as well. And that's what I mean by your job can't love you back. It's like you could pour everything into your job and you still need to remember that it's a job. (laughs) At the end of the day, it's a job. It's there. It's there for you to help you grow, of course, and help you move forward in your life and whatever your journey is. But it's not everything. And I know that that's like rather unconventional and perhaps a little bit cynical to say, but it's an important reminder that has stuck with me ever since I heard it. Maybe I want to say six years ago. I think that was the first time I ever heard that. And and it's really stuck with me because it's been a great reminder that no matter what my title is, what magazine I work for, what salary I'm making and where I am, I think that it's, it's not who I am. And, and that's a great reminder. Yeah, that's such a great reminder because I feel like a lot of the times people tie their self-worth with their job and their title. And, you know, at the end of the day, you're not going to take that with you to the grave. You know, what's important is yourself, your family, and just the things that bring you joy. This year has been such an such an awakening, you know, it, your health is more important than anything, your family, your inner circle and your, your friends love like those are the most important things in life. And your job is important and your career and finding a fulfilling career is really important, but it's not the only thing. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I just wanted to say thank you for taking the time to, you know, share your perspective on, you know, these very important topics, because I think it's so important to have people like you that are paving the way for not only young professionals, not only, you know, Filipinos, but everyone that, you know, is really 
going through the motions of getting into the industry and really just finding what they're passionate about. You know, I think all of the things that we touched on today are so important. So thank you again for taking the time to chat with me. And I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Kyla. This has been such an amazing conversation. We've hit on so many points that I'm really passionate about. So thank you for your thoughtful questions and, and for taking the time to get to know me. It's, it's been such a pleasure. 